Welcome to another episode of Dr. Jim's Healthy Body, Mind, and Spirit Podcast. I'm Dr. Jim Polikoff, PhD, and this episode is going to explore whether cosmetic surgery can truly improve your confidence and self-esteem. So this is what plastic surgeons have been telling us for years, but is it really true? Is this fact or is it fiction? We're certainly going to find out today. It's a timely question, by the way, because last year, over 18 million Americans have had some sort of cosmetic surgery procedure. But today, to answer many of our questions, my guest is Dr. Robert Hardesty. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon, and his practice is called Imagine Plastic Surgery. Uh, He's located in Riverside, California, which is just kind of a 30-minute hop, skip, and jump from Beverly Hills, so not too far away. Uh, I invited Dr. Hardesty for three reasons. Uh, First of all, he's a good sport, and he can take tough questions. I know that about him. (laughs) Also, his his credentials are pretty impressive. For example, he's a former president of the California Plastic Surgery Society, and I'm told by others in the field he's a very honest man. But perhaps most importantly is my third reason for inviting Dr. Hardesty, and that is that some people have the image that plastic surgeons are greedy and money-hungry, and that's what they're in it for. And I suppose that might be true in a few cases. But in Dr. Hardesty's case, what impresses me is the man has traveled to Africa, Vietnam, India, Argentina, and other countries to basically do surgical procedures to uh, correct deformities in people who otherwise could not afford surgery. So he's a good man, and uh, he's going to provide us, I'm sure, some honest answers. Is that true, sir? Yes, I will provide honest answers. Honest honest answers and straightforward. That's what I like to hear. So let's get right to it. We'll cut to the chase. Dr. Hardesty, there are many people who feel that those who spend a significant amount of money on uh, different cosmetic surgery procedures are oftentimes egotistical and vain. Perhaps their money could be better spent on their own families or helping poor people. Uh, So what's your take on this, Dr. Hardesty? Well, Jim, there's always certain individuals that fit that category. Um, However, if we look back at the history of plastic surgery, it was first recorded in the Edwin Papyrus, uh, Edwin Smith Papyrus, around 2500 BC, where a fractured nose. It then went on to India, where there was a common uh, uh, punishment for stealing or whatever. They would actually amputate the nose. So one of the first procedures was to reconstruct the nose uh, because the punishment was so severe and the stigmata was significant. Then we moved into sort of the modern era of plastic surgery, which is World War II, some of the foundations being laid. And so there, to define, to, to get to your answer, I, I need to lay a little foundation. There are two branches of plastic surgery. One is reconstructive and one is cosmetic. The American Medical Association determines that reconstructive surgery is taking abnormal to normal. Cosmetic surgery is taking normal to better than normal. So there's a fuzzy line between those two. So a lady comes in with breast cancer. She has an acquired absence of her breast. We go ahead and reconstruct with an implant. 
reconstructive surgery. Another lady comes in and has small breasts, either born that way congenitally or have, after having children and just wants to feel whole again. Mm-hmm. That would be considered cosmetic surgery. So where does the word plastics comes from? It comes from the Greek word plastikos, which means to mold. People think we put big wads of plastic in. No, the compound plastic came after the word plastikos, which means to mold. Now, with that foundation, Jim, um, that question is very, very good. I think that all of us want to do things to self-improve. Some spend money to go to the gym. Some people will spend a lot of money like on a Peloton or self-improvement. Uh, well, people way. will say that's also for fitness reasons. Yes. My, my question really is, um, when you really get right down to it, I can understand correcting a cleft lip or if someone has a deformity of some kind, major scars, burns on their body. Um, people understand that that's plastic surgery and that's necessary. But frankly, and, and many people say it's, we're doing plastic surgery for self-improvement or self-esteem, but can a beautiful nose or larger boobs actually give people self-confidence and self-esteem? What's your take on that? Oh, absolutely, Jim. And that's the thing. We, um, there's mind and body. I think that's some of your phrase there. We are now making the mind whole. These operations, reconstructive being functional, cosmetic being appearance. One is a physical attribute that improves their well-being. One is a mental attribute. When I do a cleft lip or palate, and even here in the States, when in my former life as an academic surgeon, which was half my practice, I would give the baby back to the mother. And I'd always tell the, as I took the baby to the operating room, I'd always tell the mother, this is a beautiful baby. And the mothers look at, they don't see the cleft lip. Afterwards, you got that same glow is, uh, that you would see when the cleft lip was repaired. I see that same emotionality after I do a rhinoplasty where somebody has a, un, a large nose, bulbous tip, big ears, saggy jowl. They look at the mirror and that same emotion of fulfillment, self-confidence, amazement comes back to them. Yes, there's some that are doing it to, you know, I paid for this operation. I want everybody to know about it. That is such a small minority. I would dare say in my practice, 95% of patients are doing these cosmetic surgery cases for improvement that is reflected in their self-confidence and their own self-worth. Okay, well, good answer, and I appreciate that. But before we get to the procedures that you do, which we definitely want to get to, um, that can improve appearance. Uh, let's talk about the dangers. We know there are dangers, and um, I've done a bit of research and some cases that have come up lately. Perhaps you can comment on them. For example, I understand one of the most popular procedures, uh, cosmetic per, uh, surgery procedures for women, is called the Brazilian butt lift. And I found a case of a woman named Angela Pedroza who had it done. Now, apparently, Whoever did the surgery for her, and I don't know the name of the surgeon, injected some sort of substance into her butt that caused an infection, which actually, and I saw pictures of this, and we're going to actually show pictures on the screen for those who are on YouTube, the infection actually rotted away her flesh and tissues and developed a disease called sepsis. 
Any comments on that? Jim, you, this is something that we as the American Society of Plastic Surgeons have been harping on for the last, oh, I would say 10 or 15 years. It's, it parallels the popularity of plastic surgery. There are a significant number of non-trained or weekend warriors, we call them, that will take a class and then think that they can do this, of uh, these procedures. Now, life happens. Even in the best hands, complications happen. I refer to one of my teachers who once told me, Bob, if you don't have complications, either you're not operating or you're a liar. Now, we want to mitigate those complications. And that's why the training of a plastic surgeon is a minimum of four years of college, four years of medical school, six years of plastic surgery, minimum, and often take fellowship. Now, because in California, where I practice uh, my entire life after training, the law says that after one year, one year out of medical school, I get a license where I am a physician and surgeon, and that allows me to do anything I want as long as I get a patient consent. Now, what keeps me from doing it at hospitals, there's boards that says, no, you have to have the training, but I could do that operation in my office if the patient consents. And this is where the vast majority of complications occur are in non-accredited operating rooms performed by non-board certified plastic surgeons. Okay. So you mentioned board certification and, and I can understand that because when you ask the average person or you even ask a medical doctor, you know, how can you decide if the, you want a cosmetic procedure that the surgeon is truly qualified to do it? And you hear the term board certified. But the fact of the matter is, I looked into this a bit, and I've actually found, believe it or not, gynecologists who are doing facelifts. I couldn't believe that. I can understand perhaps breast or, or uh, liposuction. And then I found an ophthalmologist who actually is doing uh, breast augmentations and liposuction. Now, I can understand ophthalmologists doing the eyes and that kind of thing, but these people are all board certified. So how do you tell the difference? Oh, Jim, that is such a good question. You, you, you have prepared for this talk. Okay. That board certification is like different vegetables you have uh, and fruits. Now, one is a fruit, one's a vegetable. Well, they're all food substance. We're all physicians. To get a board certified in OBGYN, you'll have to go through the rigors of that specialty. It's usually, in, and most of the specialties have two tests, a written and a oral. Now you're deemed board certified. But still, state of California says one year out, you can do any procedure a patient will allow you to do. I doubt that at OBGYN or that ophthalmologist could do that procedure at a hospital. I just, it, that would flabbergast me. I would be taken back. Now, in their office, they can do that or in a non-accredited surgery center. So the most important thing to do is look up that board certification. Specifically, where it really became ambiguous was the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery. This is a group of individuals that have a diverse background, some surgeons, some ER docs, some family practice docs that came together and created a board. There was really no formal training. And last year, California deemed that you could not call yourself certified by the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery. That no longer exists. 
It can't okay, be. Okay, now that's in California. Now remember, yeah. we're talking to people throughout the United States. I understand that. But and I and there's a different board. For example, in your credentials, I notice you're you're certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Is that yeah. what they should be looking for? Oh, Jim, yes. That's up. You're drilling down deeper, and that is great. Yes, the American Board of Plastic Surgery. It was founded in the 1930s, the largest organization of board-certified plastic surgeons, and is considered the gold, the platinum standard. That is sort of the basics that you want to look at. Then you want to look at depending on your procedure. How often is the, the plastic surgeon performing these? Go to the reviews, see what they have, real soap, real self, Google. I'm not a fan of Yelp, but yeah, go there too. Then you want to find out if that doctor has hospital privileges to perform that case in a hospital as, re- as well as his office. Now you have the basis and then I would make two or three consultations, and I offer that to all my patients. Not one size doesn't fit all. So in other words, you recommend to some of your patients they actually have additional consultations with some of your competitors. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's, that's unusual. Tell, yeah. Well, I often tell my patients, I earn my living by operating, my reputation by not. Mm-hmm. It's easier to say no to a patient then yes. And what do I mean by that? For some of us that have had experience uh, at things, some of our biggest challenge are operate on patients that may not be psychologically fit for surgery or otherwise. Yes, uh, we look at it if we're running a business, true. But at the same time, you want to be able to be happy. We go into medicine to fulfill patients' uh, goals, wishes, and wants. Um, and to help patients get better, and uh, think and in plastic surgery specifically. So the last thing we want to do is have a patient that's unhappy, dissatisfied. And so there's a everybody can't be best friends. There may be a doctor that would be better for one patient than another. And my goal is to get the patient happy and have her find or he find that uh, plastic surgeon that can fulfill their needs, wants, and desires. Well, now I want to talk about some of your procedures, but there's one more danger that I'd like you to address that I think is a concern among other people, and that has to do with anesthesia. I came across, uh, Dr. Hardesty, a case of a 19-year-old woman who was left in a coma after she had a breast augmentation procedure, getting larger breasts. And apparently, according to the lawsuit, this actually resulted from the anesthesia. What should patients know about Oh, be concerned about regarding anesthesia. Jim, these are great questions. Yes. Again, it boils down to safety. You want to operate be operate on, not in the back room of a doctor's office in a tilt-up building, but in an accredited surgery center. There's different accreditations, quadruple ASF, Medicare, uh, uh, et cetera. You want to check out the surgery center you're going to be at. Why? There's standards there too. For instance, in our practice, we only work with board certified anesthesiologists. Now, occasionally we'll work with a certified uh, CRNA, certified registered nurse, well-trained and doing it. But you have to have somebody that is qualified on the other side of the So barrier. that's a question you should ask your surgeon 
during your consultation is who is going to be doing my uh, my uh, anesthesia. Is it a board-certified anesthesiologist or a certified nurse anesthetist? Is that correct? Now, Jim, that's, that's exactly right. Both of them are qualified to do that. And then it's important to do a good preoperative evaluation. It's just, it's not when we come, patients come in and we teach our residents who have, I've had the, uh, how should I say the, um, the uh, luxury of training now over 40 board certified plastic surgeons. Part of this is not to operate, but to see who's the safe patient. Specifically, you want to do a past medical history. I want to know your allergies. I want to know your heart condition. I want to know uh, what your lungs are. I want to know what medications you are. And in our instance, anybody that's over age 45, because there can be hidden things we don't know starting that age, or any other things, we get a preoperative clearance from the family doctor, cardiologist, pulmonologist, and we ask them, is this patient safe to operate on? And again, if that comes back as a negative, we say, hey, this, this isn't worth it. Well, it sounds like you've covered all the bases, Dr. Artisy. So let's get to some of the things that you do. And by the way, I'm sure that our listeners and those who are viewing this on YouTube, I, I'm sure that they appreciate your honesty and your answers to some very tough questions. Um, but let's talk about the self-esteem and self-confidence. Let's say that, take me, well, not necessarily me, because I'm such a, you know, great appearing person, uh, <laughs> tongue in cheek. Yeah. But in any case, let's say that uh, there's a man who uh, has this tired look about him. Uh, he's got droopy eyes and he has furrows in his brows and, and obviously wrinkles in his face. What are you going to do to help him out? Jim, are you talking about me? No, no, you look too good. <laughs> well, let me tell you. I remember me, you having a beard the last picture I saw yeah, of you, yeah, and you yeah, look so you, clean cut. I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what happened, Jim, and then I'll, I'll make it real about this. It's hard to tell, but I'm about six weeks out after having 2,500 individual hair follicles transplanted from my sides to the top of my head. Ah, that's what that, uh, the fuzz going out of there is. Yeah. That's you. A, yeah. No, no, no. It's exactly. It will, it will drop. But anyway, so I can tell you from mine and the, late this summer or early fall, I'm going to have my eyes done by one of my trainees. That's, uh, that's, uh, in another city, uh, outside our, our driving area. <laughs> Cause I don't want patients to say, well, who did your eyes? And they go to them. No, not really, but it's, uh, he's the best guy in California. But anyway, why did I do it? Why did I do it? I looked at myself, especially about 15 years ago, and I started developing male pattern baldness. I felt not self-conscious, but I said, man, you really are looking older, you know, and in this time and, and day and age, Youth is the idol, vitality, um, and things. I feel like I'm 18. I just don't jump like I'm 18. So I said, okay, this is on my wish list. I've always wanted thicker hair. So about uh, a while back. So you back, did it for yourself personally as opposed yeah. to I want to look good for my patients and other people. This yeah. is something you wanted to do for your own personal self. Right. I was tired of looking in the mirror, combing my hair over and seeing my shiny scalp. I said enough. So uh, I fortunately have a hair restoration practice along with my cosmetic plastic surgery. And uh, I had my staff um, and my um, uh, physicians 
overlooking me, do it to me. And it was a real eye-opener, Jim, to, to go through the process and to see what it's like. Because uh, this is a year process. The hair takes for about it, about six or eight weeks. Then it sheds, like transplanting a tree. The leaves fall off of it. But the roots are there. So it's going to be another six months till I see the hair coming back again. But yes, this was all about me, my own self-image, my own desires and wants just to go ahead and feel good about me. Well, unfortunately, our listeners of uh, the podcast will not be able to see what a good-looking doctor you actually are, but uh, I can see, and I notice it's, you know, obviously a very good result. And I'm pleased that you did it for you because I think that's the thing that we're hoping to encourage yeah. is rather than just someone doing it for uh, narcissistic uh, reasons, shall we say, that they're doing it because to feel better about themselves and have their own personal self-esteem, that makes a lot of sense. But let's say, for example, um, you know, what I'd like to talk about is uh, women who want larger breasts. And what I've been reading is many women sometimes do it for the wrong reasons. Why do you think a woman should have breast augmentation? And, and uh, you know, what's a good reason for her to do it? Oh, Jim, I, boy, these are fantastic questions. Um, Yes. When a lady comes in to see me for breast augmentation, one of the first questions I ask them is, why are you doing this? And if they say, oh, my husband's leaving me and I think if I have a bigger breast, I'll keep him. I say, I go through the consult and I'll say at the end, I don't think you're a candidate. You need to take this money that you would spend on a breast augmentation and invest it in counseling. Bigger breasts are not going to save your marriage. So it needs to be for the person. Well, and it all, it, it comes down to that reconstructive then cosmetic. Some ladies were born congenitally as infants and then progressed through adolescence with small breasts. They're uh, disproportionate, large shoulders, flatter chest, big hips. They can't wear clothes. So some of the ladies for breast augmentation, which I think are the some of the best candidates, is just to get into proportion so they can wear the clothes. One of the things they can't do is wear a cute sundress, a halter top, fill out a bathing suit, not to make it huge. The second group of patients are those that have had children. Mm. The breasts get large, they deflate, they get large, they deflate. And now they hang down low. Uh, uh, Jim, I had Plus a you out the stretch marks, correct? And after correct. You know, having childbirth, after a yeah. few in, in particular. Yeah, I had a lady come in just a few weeks ago. She, I asked her, what size are you? And she said a 36 long. So I said, okay, I think, I think, I think we know what we need to do here. She was laughing and joking with me, but yeah, it just, again, is when they get out, for instance, out of the shower and they look at themselves, they feel more whole and better. It's not a reflection of loss of hair, but it's loss of, of uh, self-appreciation and body image. So, Dr. Hardesty, let's say that um, I'm a person who is not ready to have a major surgical procedure. I really don't want to take that step. Yet, I have facial wrinkles or loose skin. Are there things you can do for me non-surgically? Yes, absolutely. That's why in my practice, we call it one goal, many options. I learned a while back that when I first came into a cosmetic plastic surgery, focusing on the cosmetic in 2003, after being at the university for 17 years, that there were a number of patients that weren't ready for 
surgery, or I could get a surgical enhancement adding a non-surgical procedure. So we, in our practice, have over a million dollars worth of technology that we do, and we do it as adjuncts. You, we can do lasers, we can do fillers, we can do neural modulators, we can do um, uh, injections of PRP, a number of things, and working with estheticians that will enhance the appearance. And I say one plus one is not two, but if we do surgery in the non-surgicals, one plus one is three or four or five. We do the entire gamut. So it's like surgery is like a foundation, a carpet cutter. We pull it, we make it tight. Non-surgical is like a carpet cleaner. Now you can make the carpet look really nice and clean, but it'll still be loose. Now, if you tighten the carpet surgery, it still may be dirty. Okay. So combining both of them to stretch the carpet, to get it the way we want and to clean it can rejuvenate it for a natural look. And here again, go to a, if you don't want the rug pulled out from under you, <laughs> go to a board certified plastic surgeon. Right. <laughs> Dr. Hardesty, we're just about out of time, but anyway, I want to thank you because you've answered some very tough questions. And I want to point out to our listeners, I think this is very important. I was very impressed by your website because you have, uh, you know, a huge amount of information about aesthetic procedures. And I think much of it is very informative. So I'm going to suggest, since we have limited time today, I'm going to suggest that patients who want to learn more, people who are, don't even want to be patients at this point, but want to be better educated about cosmetic procedures, go to www.imagineplasticsurgery.com. Am I correct, Dr. Hardesty? That's the website? Yes, uh, that is perfect, Jim. And thank you. Based on my academic um, background, I tell patients now I give, I only give assignments, no quizzes or tests. And they like to hear that. But it's educational. We have over 70 videos that explain the, all the procedures. We have the blogs. Um, and I've had some uh, uh, good suggestions. And if any of the viewers or listeners are interested, please just email us. If there's something there that you have a question, even if you're not interested in surgery or the, I would, I would like to know because now we can write a, another blog or a video. So thank you very much for that compliment, Jim. I know in your past careers, you've looked at a lot of different um, websites uh, uh, and a lot of uh, uh, interviewed a lot of different doctors. So that was a very um, genuine and uh, uh, great comment. Thank you. Well, you're, you're very appreciative. I, I appreciate it very much that you complimented me back. That means you'll be a guest on another show that I have. I like those mutual compliments, but I'm just kidding again. Yeah, but in yeah. any case, um, one last question very quickly. I understand that if someone doesn't, particularly during this time, uh, even though I think, you know, things are getting much better. If someone doesn't want to come into your office for an in-person consultation, you do virtual consultations, correct? Yeah, we've been doing virtual consults ever since I went into practice. But since COVID, we really upped the ante. We put a lot of energy and time. And actually, we use a two-camera system so I can be talking to you, and yet you can review my handouts. And then they, they stay in a HIPAA-protected uh, area. So my website, Imagine Plastic Surgery, is different than my teaching site. Uh, and it's protected. And so once you inquire, we give you a password to get in that no one can look at, but you will send your pictures. 
and block out anything you want, identifying uh, marks or things. And then we look at those and go over them. And I say it's 99% is good. The only difference is I can't palpate the tissue or take measurements, but we do that at the pre-op. But to convey so it's, the it's all very private. Whatever information a patient sends you, it's all kept in, in strict oh, confidence. Absolutely. It's HIPAA protected. Uh, as much as the computer's there, it follows all the local, regional, and national guidelines and federal law. Well, we have patients in states across the country, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, uh, Minnesota, uh, and obviously, if someone decides that they'd like to come to California to your office for a cosmetic procedure, you can do the virtual consultation, first of all, before you ever have to decide to make the trip. Am I correct? Yes. And even the follow-up, we do that too. We have patients coming from all over the United States um, and actually other countries that come that, that come here. And then we have that follow-up. Plus, being part of this network of the American Board of Plastic Surgeons, I have friends and it reciprocates. They have people that leave the Inland Empire and go elsewhere, but they need their sutures out or they need some advice. We're more than happy to, to see those patients from wherever they come and vice versa. Well, I, I'm impressed by the caring attitude that you have, Dr. Hardesty, and the fact that you took time to talk with us again. For our viewers, his website, Dr. Robert Hardesty, is www.imagineplasticsurgery.com. But you can also come to our website, which we'll talk about at the end of this podcast. Uh, and on our website, you'll also be able to find information about Dr. Hardesty and his website. So, Dr. Hardesty, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I have a feeling we'll probably see you again soon. Jim, thank you for this opportunity to educate people. And I really um, enjoy what you're doing. And I think it is so beneficial for the public. So a big shout out to you and uh, this endeavor. All right. Well, thank you so much. Okay. You have our mind, body, and soul. Well, we appreciate Dr. Hardesty's time. And again, you can certainly go to uh, his website and find out more information. But as many of you know, uh, I'm a certified nutritionist. And uh, so I promise each podcast, I will present at least a few nutritional tips that might help you in your health. At least I hope so. So here are a few things to keep in mind. Number one, don't drink sugar calories. They can be the leading cause of obesity or type 2 diabetes. And I'm talking about sodas and things of that nature. Instead, you know, really focus on switching to water. You can drink Perrier if you want a, an extra kick or Pellegrino water. But recommending staying away from those sodas, I think, can be very helpful to your health. If you need a snack, uh, my suggestion is eat nuts. Um, they're nutritious, healthy, filling uh, some studies show that nuts can actually increase your metabolism. And of course, the increase in metabolism is going to help you in terms of weight loss if you're concerned about, you know, handling your weight situation. And again, uh, eat as many as you like, but keep it in moderation because you can also eat too many. So as in anything, any kind of food that you're going to eat, always consider the term moderation. And lastly, don't fear coffee. Coffee is high in antioxidants, and there are many studies that actually show and have actually linked coffee to living longer and also combating things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Let's consider the need for supplements. 
The truth is that each of us ate only those foods which comprise super healthy diets. There would be no need to take supplements. In the typical Western diet, just about everything is backwards in respect to good health. Red meat and other fatty foods take the forefront, while an adequate amount of fruits and vegetables, whole grains are neglected. In addition, the way that Americans in particular eat is loaded with cholesterol as well as salt and sugar. If this wasn't bad enough, what we eat is critically short on dietary fiber and many other nutrients which help pro protect our heart and prevent cancers. In a 12-year study of more than 69,000 women, the typical Western diet was found to significantly raise the risk of coronary heart disease. Other studies have shown that a high-fat, low-nutrient diet increases the likelihood of colon cancer, diabetes, and a host of other ailments. This is why a daily regimen of appropriate supplements can be helpful to both your health and your longevity. While we don't have time to cover the proper supplementation during this podcast, our website is chock full of good nutritional information. And I want to point out that also the types of supplements you should be taking for certain needs will be described on the website. All you really need to do is visit www.bodymindsoulpodcast.net and click on nutrition. This is Dr. Jim Polikoff. So please join me next week for another episode of Dr. Jim's Healthy Body, Mind, and Soul podcast. And you'll be able to find us on a number of audio podcast platforms as well as YouTube. But in the meantime, please go to our website, www.bodymindsoulpodcast.net. And you're going to find the latest information on current podcasts, upcoming guests that we're going to have, and key nutritional information. That's bodymindsoulpodcast.net. And remember, take time to feed your soul so your body and mind can remain healthy.